coming to you from Nashville, Tennessee, this is the award-winning Parareality Radio. My name is Sandman, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour tonight. Good evening, everybody, and thank you for tuning in as always. Well, it is Friday, August the 16th, 2019, and of course that means it's time for another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast, Parareality Radio. But tonight's episode is going to be the third and final part in my three-part summer series on conspiracy theories about the moon. In the first part, I discussed several theories surrounding the actual missions to the moon itself, mainly that the landings were faked by NASA and the U.S. government. In the second part, I explored the theory that our moon is a hollow sphere, perhaps some sort of ancient spaceship or derelict satellite but i have saved the best for last tonight i'm going to be talking about the wildest moon conspiracy theory out there nazis on the moon the moon conspiracy theories go together like buzz armstrong and punching moon conspiracy theorists in the face from the moment The Apollo 11 mission touched down on the lunar surface 50 years ago, and Neil Armstrong delivered his One Small Step for Man line. There have been utterings that the entire thing was staged in a television studio somewhere in California. One certain moon conspiracy theory, however, can claim bragging rights over all of the others. That's the one in which during the final months of World War II, the Nazis somehow made it to the moon before anyone else, without the knowledge of anyone else, or without being detected by anyone else. There, on the dark side of the moon, they constructed a vast Bond-villain-style lair. Nazis on the moon is, as far as conspiracy theories go, one of the wildest and most unbelievable out there. However, there are a few people out there who actually believe this wild theory and, in fact, say that there's proof. And that's what we're going to explore tonight here on Parareality Radio. But before I start, let me take care of all the usual housekeeping issues per my norm, right? So, There are several different ways that you can get in contact with me, Sandman, here on the show. First of all, you can go to the show website, parareality.com. You can fill in the uh, contact me form on the about page, or if you just, you know, want to go the faster way, you can send me an email. That's sandman at parareality.com. You can also find the Parareality Radio Facebook page by looking for Parareality Radio in the Facebook search engine. Uh, I'm uh, also now on Twitter, and you can follow me there. My handle on Twitter is at Radio. And finally, you can still call the studio line at 615-692-1170 and leave a message. Just be aware that I may play your comment back on the show. If you do not wish to have your comment played back, please tell me that you don't want to have it played back when you leave me your message. Simply leaving me your message is giving me permission to play all or part of it 
on the podcast. If you don't want that to happen, you need to let me know. All right. And you never know, I may also answer the phone as well because it, now that I'm back to doing the, the podcast, I've been doing it all year now. I'm back to the uh, bi weekly schedule. It seems like I'm always here in the studio, and you just may catch me there, and you may get a chance to talk to me live. Who knows? Of course, I may also record the conversation too, So, but I'll let you know if I do that. So that number to call once again is 615-692-1170. That number again is 615-692-1170. You just may catch me in the studio too, and you may get a chance to talk to me. Never know. All right, I also have some fan mail. I've uh, started doing the fan mail segment again after a long time of not doing any. So uh, here we go with the fan mail this evening. It, this comes from Mark. And Mark is referring to the first episode that I did on the moon landing conspiracy. And Mark writes, great episode. The moon landing conspiracy is over. People think that it was fate or chatbots in the simulation of life. They are here to entertain us with their clickbait remarks. Well, I'll have to agree with you, uh, Mark. It is, um, it, there's no doubt that we landed on the moon. There's there's lots of, of uh, evidence to support that. Um, I know that there are people out there who believe still to this day, even though it's been 50 years, that the whole thing was still faked. And, and I will have to say that there does seem to be some evidence out there that supports a, a, a fake moon landing. However, it's circumstantial at best, and it's easy to take all the events from history over the last 50 years and look at them and scrutinize and go through them and make everything shape it to, uh, fit your own personal conspiracy theory and that is very easy to do and there are people out there who are really good at doing that and unfortunately there are some who make their money off of doing stuff that's stupid like that and that's where the clickbait comes in so Good uh, good point there, Mark. Thank you for your email. If you have any email that you'd like to send, if you have a question that you'd like for me to answer, if you have a comment about the show, good, bad, ugly, in between, doesn't matter. I will read them all, and uh, I'll pick, always pick a good one and put it on the air. So if you have a question, comment that you'd like to say, a question you'd like to ask, email the show, sandman at parareality.com. That email, once again, is sandman at parareality.com. All right, now that I've got all the usual housekeeping stuff out of the way, it is time to get right down to business and let's start talking about is there or could there be a secret Nazi base on the moon? Well, there is a conspiracy theory that's been circulating for, gosh, about 20 years or so that the Nazis landed a, a rocket, a spacecraft, on the moon in 1942. That's 27 years before the U.S. astronauts Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin set foot on the lunar surface during the Apollo 11 mission. So, here is the theory. 
Adolf Hitler ordered a crew of Third Reich astronauts to visit the moon in 1942, in the middle of World War II, according to what this conspiracy theory says. And Nazi spacemen walked on the surface of the moon using rocket craft developed by Hitler's top scientists. Now, there's a Bulgarian researcher named Dr. Vladimir Terzisky who claims that he has evidence of the Reich's successful mission to the moon. Terzisky is an engineer and physicist, and he believes that the Germans developed a space program with their World War II allies, the, the Japanese. He also believes that the Reich went as far to as to establish a, a moon base after the end of World War II. Dr. Terzisky has given lectures across the world on this theory that the Nazis were actually the first to conquer the moon. And, and this ties in with claims uh, that defeated Nazis fled to Antarctica after the end of the war and ran their covert space program from there. Now, I did a, uh, a few years ago, I did a summer series about uh, Hitler and the Nazis. And um, I did, uh, one of those was, is there a secret Nazi Antarctic, Antarctic base? And that, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, is the most popular episode in the history of Parareality Radio thus far. It has well over a thousand downloads. As a matter of fact, it's probably approaching uh, close to 1,500 just downloads. And that doesn't count all of the people who actually have listened to the show. So it is something that has been very popular. And I'm not saying that it's popular because of my podcast. I'm saying that is a, a conspiracy theory that has been very popular for years. And uh, like I said, several years ago when I did it, I, you know, I did not know at that time that it was going to be as popular of a topic as what it is. Now, if you have uh, listened to me for any length of time, you'll know that I, I have a wide variety of interest uh, besides the paranormal. Um, I'm an ancient alien uh, theorist. I love the Ancient Alien Show on the History Channel. I've watched it every episode since day one. I've even appeared on Ancient Aliens, believe it or not. And I also uh, am uh, 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 an amateur history person. Uh, I don't know how to say it. I was going to say history professor, but that's totally not true. I'm I'm a history buff. I love the to to learn and read about World War II, and Hitler and the Nazis are one of my areas of specialty. So I do a lot of talking about Hitler and the Nazis and um, what happened with them, all of their occult beliefs, all the conspiracy theories that surround Hitler and the Nazis. And before anyone misconstrues anything, no, I am not a Nazi. And no, I am not a a fan of Adolf Hitler. Okay, if there's somebody that's going to listen to this damn podcast and they're going to say, well, Sandman's a Nazi. He's a, a white supremacist. No, I am not. I am not a Nazi. 
I'm not a white supremacist. I'm not a fan of Adolf Hitler. I am fascinated by Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and the fact that this man could enamor a whole entire country and he could have told them anything. He could have said the moon is made of cheese and they probably would have believed him. And and Himmler actually tried to rewrite the history books and a lot of the a lot of the people just went along with it. And it's so amazing that this man, Adolf Hitler, and just a, a few close people that surrounded him were able to hypnotize and brainwash a whole entire nation and lead them into the war and not just any war, but, you know, they call it the war to end all wars. It just, it was, it was amazing that people could do that. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm kind of getting off topic here. So anyway, this Dr. Terzisky guy is giving lectures all over the world about his theory that Nazis were the first people to come on, or first people to land on the moon. And, this, as I said, it, it, it all ties in with the claims that, you know, what was left of the Third Reich and the Nazis fled to Antarctica after World War II and, and built a secret Antarctic base program, uh, a secret Antarctic base, and ran their space program from there. So they say that Nazi officials led by SS General Hans Kammler who oversaw Hitler's rocket program, retreated to this secret base in Antarctica after Germany was defeated. That is the claim, anyway, of Dr. Terzisky. Now, the problem with that now uh, is that uh, Hans Kammler, um, he was never known to head towards Antarctica. He was never seen there, never documented to be there. As a matter of fact, he completely disappeared right before the end of the war and no one knows what's happened to him and there's only if you if you type in a, a google search for uh, general hans kamler you'll find like one picture of him and it's the same picture that's on you know every um tv show that mentions his name and every website that has him on there it's, it's just this one picture it's the only picture that i know of this in existence he was also the general who was overseeing the development of Daglaka, which is the nazi bell by the way i also did an episode of that whenever i did my summer series on hitler and the nazis uh, if you don't know what the nazi bell is and if you don't know about a secret Nazi base in Antarctica, I suggest you go to parareality.com, look through the archives, and you'll see uh, back a, a couple of years ago where I did that summer series with Hitler and the Nazis. And I did, uh, did Hitler survive World War II? I did uh, Daglaka or the Bell, and I did the secret Nazi Antarctic base. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, so this guy, Terzisky, is also claiming that uh, Hans Kammler, who oversaw the development of Daglaka and who was supposedly the person that was over Hitler's rocket program, he took a, a regiment, a whole bunch of Nazis, and fled to Antarctica right after Germany was defeated, despite that there's no evidence of that whatsoever. So this secret Antarctic base was called New Schwabenland, and that's no... Like, that's nothing made up. That's actually true. The Nazis did actually go to Antarctica. They did 
plant the the swastika there, and they did claim a section of Antarctica and call it New Schwabenland. So that we know is true, but that doesn't translate to building a secret Antarctic base. So according to Dr. Terziski, this secret Antarctic base was called New Schwabenland, and Reich engineers used this area to launch a series of missions to the moon. And he also claims tests were carried out from Nazi strongholds in South America where many leading, high-ranking Nazi officers escaped to. Once again, that is also very true. After the end of World War II, a lot of high-ranking Nazi officials and Nazi officers did escape to South America, and a lot of them lived the remainder of their lives there. As a matter of fact, there are um, lots of uh, places in, uh, in, in South America, uh, Argentina, uh, that um, have a strong German influence because they're full of Nazis. So Terziski goes on to say that he believes the rapid rise in UFO sightings from the 1940s on were actually Nazi test aircrafts, test UFOs. And he says, and I'm going to direct quote him here, he says, the Germans landed on the moon as early as probably 1942, utilizing their larger exo-atmospheric rocket saucers of the Meath and Schriever type. Ever since their first day of landing on the moon, the Germans started boring and tunneling under the surface, and by the end of the war, there is a small Nazi research base on the moon. That is according to Dr. Terziski. However, this theory of his has been blasted as pure fantasy by anybody who's got any intelligence, but most mostly they're academic types. There's a guy who's a geologist named Colin Summerhays, and he is from the University of Cambridge. He actually published a 21-page academic paper to disprove the existence of the supposed secret Nazi UFO base in the South Pole. And he concluded that the Germans did not construct a secret base before, during, or immediately after World War II. However, there was a huge interest in spaceflight among the Nazis. Germany did have advanced rocket technology, which was used to develop the V-1 and the V-2 rockets, which they used to uh, basically rain down death on Britain. The Third Reich also developed a flying saucer of sorts. It was called the Horton 229. It was a flying wing, uh, which uh, often has been used to help feed the theories of Nazi UFOs. Now, the... uh, the Horton 229 flying wing was actually a like a a big wing. I don't know how else to describe it. It's like a big wing. Um, it did not um, live up to its full potential. However, uh, if the war had continued to go on for another couple of years, maybe, uh, they probably could have perfected it, at least everything that I've looked at and read about the, the Horton 229. It, it, it had a lot of potential. 
So uh, former Nazi rocket scientists were instrumental in getting the real first man on the moon, Neil Armstrong. We all know that, right? So we know that the Nazi scientists, the, the rocket scientists, were extremely intelligent. They had the the knowledge to do it. They just didn't have the time to perfect it. And what I'm talking about is being able to make a, a, a jet, being able to perfect the flying wing, the Horton 229, being able to even build a rocket that was powerful enough to send men to the moon. The German scientists are extremely smart. Germany, as far as technology goes, really was kind of like a step ahead of the rest of the world. Unfortunately, too much money went towards financing stuff like, I don't know, the final solution, you know, killing all the Jews and, and, you know, waging war and stuff like that. And doing these expeditions with the Ananurba to freaking Tibet to try to prove that the Nazis in were there and that they originated somehow from there and they were Aryans and all this crap. They spent their money on the wrong stuff. So I could go on and on about this stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Nazi rocket scientists were instrumental in getting the first men to the moon. They were smart. They could have, if given enough time and had enough money developed rocket technology that could have gone to the moon. So we all know that the U.S. recruited Nazi scientists to help develop the U.S. space program that saw Apollo 11 go to the moon and back in 1969. Their help was in return for them basically not getting prosecuted over their war crimes. Now, it started in 1945, right after Germany's surrender, when the U.S. began recruiting Nazi scientists to help with the continuing war effort against Japan in the, in the uh, Pacific. The men responsible for the, this, the deadly V-2 rocket, which rained down on London during, during the, the Blitz, were pardoned in exchange for their cooperation with the U.S. government. Many of them were later instrumental in the development of the U.S. space program. We all know that. So we know that Reich rocket scientists did dream of a space program which they would one day go to the moon. We know that they had the intelligence. We know that they possessed technology. What they didn't possess was time, and they didn't have enough money pumped into their program so they could really take this thing to the next level. However, you can make an argument or you can say, you know, that this dream was realized as they were scooped up in the top secret US, you know, operation paperclip and and said, "Okay, if you will, you know, smuggle you over here to the states, you won't face prosecution for whatever bad stuff that you did as a Nazi." In return, you're going to help us develop weaponry and rockets for the United States. Now, while the Nazis may never have actually made it to the moon, the legacy of the German scientist helped Neil Armstrong make his giant leap for mankind. Dr. Marcus Schiller, a German engineer 
wrote in his memoirs, and I'm quoting here, without a doubt, Von Braun was one of the key figures of spaceflight, and he still polarizes. Some see him as the epitome of opportunism, a person who willingly accepted the deaths of innocent people to achieve his great goal. Others see an exceptional engineer and manager, a man of action, who once he had taken his path never had a real choice in his decisions due to the circumstances that developed around him. So Werner von Braun, who was the man responsible for the Saturn rocket that took Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin to the moon, was the guy. He was the chief rocket scientist. Even though you had General Hans Kammler overseeing the program, the real guy, the real brains behind it was Werner von Braun. Yes, he was a Nazi. If you believe his story, he was kind of forced into being a Nazi because kind of he didn't, he probably would have been killed, which I can totally believe. But there are there are those people out there that says that, you know, he willingly became a Nazi. He was complicit in a lot of bad stuff that went on and um, he's guilty. So I don't know. It's not not um, not for me to judge. But if it hadn't been for the U.S. getting him into Operation Paperclip, let's face it, we probably never would have gone to the moon when we did, if ever. So now that I've been talking about all of this stuff, what really do Nazi moon-based conspiracy theorists say? What, what do they say? Besides this guy, Dr. Terzisky, what, what do other people, what, what's the, the main, the general consensus that the moon, Nazi moon base conspiracy theorists have? Well, many of these so-called UFO cases in the 1950s and 60s, including the famous flyovers above Washington, D.C. during July of 1952, were actually warnings by the Nazi SS they supposedly flaunted their superiority over the Allies' aeronautical powers. Saying, look, we can come in and uh, buzz your capital and do whatever we want to to you whenever we want to. The Nazi SS continue to maintain a mammoth underground city-slash-factory complex far beneath the frozen wastelands of the Antarctic ice, not far from the U.S. and Norwegian bases. That's another thing that uh, these Nazi moon-based conspiracy theorists believe. They also say that the disciplined remains of an elite Waffen-SS Corps and their appointed successors monitor the superpowers and continue an ingenious yet relentless campaign that started in early 1947 of military, economic, and political blackmail and extortion on a worldwide scale. The diabolical Nazi SS established and expanded upon a network of lunar bases whose primary purpose is to exploit the ultimate military high ground, control and contain the superpowers, and mine the abundant minerals available 
on the moon. This includes things like helium-3 for nuclear fusion reactors. Uh, they mine these things for light and heavy manufacturing purposes to support terrestrial and lunar operations. Other conspiracy theorists say that uh, this is why NASA killed the Apollo program and never returned to the moon. Many space probes have returned photos of what can only be described as mining operations and structures on the lunar surface. Are they operated by space aliens? Well, the conspiracy theorist about Nazi moon base says not likely. More likely, to, according to them, the Nazi Space Corps runs the show up there. Another thing that they believe is that the Nazi SS established secret maintenance bases in extreme northern Norway under deep lakes located within northwest Canada, Central America, Southern South America, and under targeted regions of the vast oceans and seas. These areas have been hotbeds of flying saucer reports and UFO activity for years, but strangely no activity was ever reported from these regions prior to 1945. Now, we can't talk about Nazis, secret moon bases, UFOs, and the secret Antarctic base without talking about Admiral Richard E. Byrd. When Admiral Richard E. Byrd's United States Naval Task Force confronted and engaged the polar Waffen-SS forces near the giant Nazi base of New Swabenland in the Antarctic in uh, 1956, the Americans lost. And that resulted in the task force limping back home months earlier than planned, with almost 100 men missing and even that many more, at least, injured. One of the fleet ships was lost, and Admiral Byrd was ordered by then-President Eisenhower never to talk to the news media about the horrifying events that transpired on the southern ice peak. And, of course, like I said, you have to talk about more about Admiral Richard E. Byrd going to Antarctica and encountering something that were that was there. And the name of, of this exploration was actually called Operation High Jump. And I'm going to read to you an excerpt out of General Byrd's diary. And this is what it says. There comes a time when the rationality of men must fade into insignificance and one must accept the inevitability of the truth. I am not at liberty to disclose the following documentation at this writing. Perhaps it shall never see the light of public scrutiny, but I must do duty and record here for all to read one day. In a world of greed and exploitation of mankind can no longer suppress that which is truth. And that comes from the diary of Admiral Richard E. Byrd in charge of Operation High Jump. Now, what was Operation High Jump? I'll give you a brief, okay? In 1947, Admiral Richard E. Byrd 
led 4,000 military troops from the U.S., Britain, and Australia in what can be, was supposed to be an exploration of Antarctica called Operation High Jump. And it, he also did at least one follow-up expedition. Operation High Jump, which was basically uh, an invasion of the Antarctic, consisted of three naval battle groups which departed Norfolk, Virginia on December the 2nd um, in uh, 1946. And they were led by Admiral Richard E. Burge, command ship the Icebreaker Northwind, and consisted of the catapult ship Pine Island, the destroyer uh, Brownson, and the aircraft carrier Philippine Sea. It also had a uh, submarine, the Senate, two support vessels, Yankee and Merrick, and two tankers, Canistid and Capican, the destroyer Henderson, and a uh, floatplane ship called the uh, Kuratuk, I believe is what it was, a British-Norwegian force and a Russian force and some Australian and Canadian forces were also involved. So this was a huge, huge undertaking here. And Operation High Jump has become a topic among UFO conspiracy theorists who claimed it was a, a covert U.S. military operation to conquer the alleged secret underground Nazi facilities in Antarctica and capture the German Vril flying disc or the, the Thule Mercury-powered spaceship prototypes or even obtain um, whatever um, spaceships or rockets that the Nazis had and, and, you know, shooting people to the moon. And, and of course, you know, this has always been denied by the U.S. military. Now, just before the end of World War II, German provision U-boats U-530 and U-977 were launched from a port on the Baltic Sea following a steady stream of supplies that was carried carried out throughout the, the closing stages of the war. Reportedly, they took with them members of the anti-gravity disc research and development teams carrying, you know, notes and drawings and designs for German flying discs. And the last of the most vital disc components were supposedly on these vessels. Much of the technology and hardware that the Allies were looking for concerning the Nazi secret weapons program had been transported to the base during the course of the war. This included the notes and the drawings for the latest saucer disc designs and designs for the gigantic underground complexes and living accommodations based uh, under the Antarctic and supposedly uh, could have contained plans for the secret Nazi moon base and also plans for the rockets that were taking people to back and forth to the moon. The two U-boats, they actually reached New Schwabenland in Antarctica, where they supposedly unloaded everything, and then they arrived in Argentina several months later, minus, of course, the original cargo and most of the crew. Rumors began to circulate that even though Germany had been defeated, a selection of military personnel and scientists had uh, fled the fatherland as Allied troops swept across mainland Europe and established themselves at a base on 
on Antarctica from where they continued to develop advanced rocket and flying disc, basically UFO technology. Supposedly, this was also this also included some extraterrestrial technologies as well because there are rumors that a UFO crashed in Germany in uh, I believe the late 30s or early 40s and uh, Hitler of course and the Nazis uh, got the UFO and you know reverse engineered it uh, the the fact is that there were plenty there was plenty of evidence at the time to indicate that as late as 1947 Elements of the Kriegsmarine, or the German Navy, were still very much active in the South Atlantic, operating either out of uh, South America or some base that was previously unsuspected in the Antarctic. There were a lot of stories that were circulating at the time about this. Now, when Admiral Byrd and his fleet came back, All the information was classified as top secret, and the only person to talk about the mission was the Secretary of the Navy, James Forstall. And he actually was uh, institutionalized in Bethesda Naval Hospital Psychiatric Ward and later died from a quote-unquote suicide, very suspicious, and he was the only one that talked anything at all about Operation High Jump. So we all know that the Nazis embraced the occult and believed that the Earth could be hollow, and and they also believed that the hollow center could be inhabited by some sort of alien race. In fact, they believed this so much that one of their missions was specifically designed to find an entrance to the Earth's interior and make contact with the inhabitants of the hollow Earth for support in the war if they were to actually be located. Now, some conspiracy theorists will say that, yes, they did actually find the entrance to the hollow earth, and you can see it supposedly on Google Maps in the Antarctic. And they, not only did they make contact with this race, but they uh, got their technology And that's where they developed all of their UFO flying discs. There's my creepy clock again. Every episode, right? They has these. They they got this the technology, and in that's where they how they invented all their UFOs and their flying discs and their rocket technology that took them to the moon. So it is a big long. That is a very complicated conspiracy theory when you talk about Operation High Jump and Admiral Byrd because. There's not just that conspiracy theory with that's associated with Operation High Jump. There are lots of other conspiracy theories that revolve around Operation High Jump. So I could go on and on and on about that. Um, so getting back to uh, what I was talking about earlier, uh, another uh, conspiracy theory about Nazi secret bases on the moon is that there were tons of Nazi gold that disappeared at the end of the war. Well, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's a fact. What's also a fact is that the Allies never found it, nor did anyone else. Today, this cache of gold or this hoard has an estimated value of somewhere in the trillions, with a T, trillions of dollar range. 
So how do you connect that with Nazi bases on the moon? Well, here's what the conspiracy theorists are saying. Did the so-called Nazi last battalion smuggle it out of Germany before the Allied forces arrived? Did they use it to further capitalize their Antarctic base and satellite operations in Argentina and the mountainous forest fortresses excuse me that that they built? Could they still be in operation today in Paraguay, thereby controlling somehow the flights to and from the moon using all of this? undiscovered gold that supposedly is in the trillions use that gold to finance their secret moon base operations and mining operations on the moon far-fetched but yet that's what some people believe excuse me i had to get a little drink my throat was dry so with all that being said here are the facts, okay? According to several websites whose writers failed miserably in their due diligence, there was a Roman, a Romanian, excuse me, scientist named Radovan Tomovici who studied conspiracy theories for decades. And he says, and this comes from not just one, but more than one website that all basically say the same thing. This is what uh, Tomovici says. For over 70 years, it has been common knowledge that the Nazis had a research program overseen by Hans Kammler during the war with the goal of conquest and control of orbitable, orbital space. It seems that Kammler, who mysteriously vanished in Antarctica shortly before the end of the war, and his team were successful. We're in trouble now. So that comes from, like I said, not just one website, but several websites. And the reason that I say that all of these people who are publishing this on their website fail miserably in their due diligence is because, unfortunately, these conspiracy theorists failed to realize that this fascinating tidbit of information was nothing more than a piece of PR manufactured for the marketing buildup of the film Iron Sky, which was scheduled for release in April of 2012. <laughs> yep. So it, I know you've probably been thinking about Iron Sky the whole time that I've been doing this and you've been sitting on the edge of your seat just wondering when the hell is Sandman going to bring it up? Well, there it is. There's Iron Sky. I have seen that movie. There's a sequel. I have not seen that. Um, I have seen Iron Sky. Uh, it was okay. Could have been done a whole lot better. But I'm not going to uh, turn this into a critique of Iron Sky. But... Anyway, so people who are putting that out on their websites, all these conspiracy theories who are, who are saying, you know, here's proof. It, dude, watch Iron Sky. You know, the, this was part of the PR buildup for that. Back in 2012, that's been a few years ago, you know. But I digress. Let me 
enlighten you to some more facts about the Nazi, quote-unquote Nazi space program. After decades of derision and dismissal by the mainstream media, the surviving documents and testimonies by eyewitnesses that a Nazi flying disc program did actually exist and met with, with some success is being revisited. There are those who say that after the end of World War II in May 1945, the Germans continued their space effort from their south polar colony of New Swabenland. There was a, a, a man by the name of Sir Roy Fedden. He was an aeronautical engineer and chief of the technical mission to Germany for the Ministry of Aircraft Production, who says that the only craft that could approach the capabilities attributed to the flying saucers seen around the world during the late 1940s and early 1950s were those being designed by the Germans toward the end of the war. This is a direct quote from Sir Roy Fedden. He says, I have seen enough of their designs and production plans to realize that if they had managed to prolong the war some months longer, we would have been confronted with a set of entirely new and deadly developments in air warfare. So this is a guy who is an aeronautical engineer and chief of this technical mission to Germany for the Ministry of Aircraft Production, who is saying that, yes, the Germans did have the technology to produce some sort of advanced flying aircraft. Not saying it was he, that it was going to be a, a UFO or a saucer. Not saying that they could go to the moon or even send people back. But that they were technologically superior in their aircraft development. Remember, there's the Horton 229, the flying wing. As I said at the top of the show, if they had just been able to prolong the war and had a little bit more time and a little bit more money, what could they have done? So you have this guy here who, like I said, is an engineer who's agreeing with what I was saying, who's, who, or I guess you could say since he said it first, I'm agreeing with what he's saying, but regardless, we both reached the same conclusion, that the Germans had the know-how they had the technology, they had the intelligence, they just didn't have the time. And, of course, I say they didn't have the money either. But that does not mean that they went to the moon and back. Now, how could you have a rocket ship and send people up to the moon and send people back to the moon and it not be detected by people here on Earth. One of the advantages that we had over our enemies in World War II was that we had superior radar technology. And, of course, today if we have satellites out the ass floating around the Earth and everything, and if there's a Nazi moon base up there, surely by now someone would have seen at least one rocket ship fly up out of the earth and go to the moon and then turn around and come back. Someone would have seen that. Some amateur astronomer 
would have seen that if the government was trying to cover it up. So that alone right there is enough to say that it's probably not true. That it No, that it's definitely not true. However, it would be a mistake to disregard the research in Germany in the 1930s and 1940s just because it was done in the Third Reich. This kind of suppression of the facts would be unscientific and would be just as bad as the suppression of facts that had happened during that era, the suppression of the facts by the Germans. So are all of these theorists correct? Well, the answers, my friends, may only be found on the far side of the moon because we never get to see it. And that is my take on are there Nazis on the moon? Is there a secret Nazi base on the moon? Absolutely not. There are no Nazis on the moon. There's no secret Nazi base on the moon. The Nazis never made it to the moon. I hope that everybody enjoyed the show tonight. Let me know what you thought about it by sending me an email. That's sandman at parareality.com. If you want to know more about the show, you can simply get online and head on over to parareality.com. That's where you can find out all kinds of information about the show. You can listen to the current and past episodes there on parareality.com. And if you click on the extras tab, that'll take you to a page where you can join the official Parareality Radio Forum. It's still up and running. You can shop in the Parareality Radio store and even watch some show videos and other stuff like that. Also, don't forget to look up Parareality Radio on Facebook and follow me on Twitter at Parareal Radio. I post a lot of interesting stuff on Facebook and Twitter like upcoming shows, special guests, and interesting articles and stuff like that. So make sure you follow me on both of those platforms there to stay updated on what's happening in the world of Parareality Radio. Speaking of the show and the website and all that stuff, did you know that you can now listen to Parareality Radio on a variety of different websites and streaming platforms? The show can, of course, be heard here on Spreaker. It can be heard on the website, parareality.com. But you can also hear it on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to stream the show, you can do it from, like I said, parareality.com, or you can stream it from Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, CastBox, and iHeartRadio. Still trying to get the iTunes things worked out, but hopefully that'll be coming soon. I know I've been saying it for like two months now, but I'm seriously working on it. Hopefully it's going to be coming soon and you'll be able to hear it on iTunes or whatever the podcast version of iTunes is turning in into. I don't know what it is. Uh, also, if you have a smart speaker such as an Alexa, you can enable any of the Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, basically any of those uh, streaming services. You, they've, you can enable your app there on your smart speaker and open up that app and simply say, play the Parareality Radio podcast. So the show is now heard on just about every kind of streaming platform that you can think of 
opening up truly to more people than I probably ever been uh, had the exposure to before. Even though this has always been a worldwide global uh, show, uh, now there's so many different varieties. People have so many different ways to choose from. People, you know, they pick a streaming service and they kind of kind of stick with it. You got people who are loyal to Stitcher and they are going to listen to that. You got, you know, Spotify is big. People listen to that. Of course, iHeartRadio now and and Apple, whatever their podcast platform is going to be, people are loyal to that. So it, they kind of, you by being only on one streaming platform, you kind of limit yourself as to what all is out there. But now we, all of us podcasters, have the ability to get on all the streaming platforms, and I'm really excited about that. So if you, no matter what, how you listen to this show, if you've got a smart speaker, put your favorite streaming podcasting app on your smart speaker and then ask it to play the Para-Reality Radio podcast. Well, let's see. It looks like I'm going to finish a couple of minutes early tonight. But, hey, it's my show. That's okay. I can do what I want, right? My next show is going to be available on uh, Friday, September the 6th. 2019, and that'll of course be at the same time, 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. time. Make sure you turn on, tune in, and find out what the topic is going to be. Everybody, I hope that this radio program opens your mind up to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, a great weekend, and I will see you again in two weeks. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.